I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman and Flow Hockey's Chris Peters back for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. All three of us are uh, blissfully back at our homes after uh, some travels in the last couple weeks here. And I want to start the show today uh, kind of recapping them a little bit. I know Chris and Corey, you guys both were at the CHL Top Prospects game. Uh, we're going to definitely get to that uh, in a minute. But Corey, you were also at the Michigan-Minnesota series um, and I want to start there because obviously that's a hugely uh, rich prospect series that we're talking about, both in terms of guys who have already been drafted and, and obviously some intrigue at the very top of 2023. Yeah, and it was a great series. Uh, both games went to overtime. Uh, both games featured a, a late goal by Minnesota to tie it up against Michigan. Uh, it was a packed building both nights uh, and just a ton of NHL talent on the ice. It almost felt like a World Junior game in, in in both of those games, both in terms of the amount of talent and and the kind of the pace and and the intensity of the game uh, between Minnesota and Michigan, uh, and just just a great overall series. Uh, one thing that I thought was really notable was the play of the two draft eligibles on Michigan, Gavin Brindley and Adam Fantilli. I thought both were very good, and Brindley was was quite good for Team USA at the World Juniors. And while I thought Fantilli was solid for Canada, I mean, he didn't play a ton for them and probably didn't have the tournament you, you hope for him. And while I thought he was pretty good in the, on the Saturday game against Minnesota, the game on Friday, he was just outstanding. Like, he looked like an impact player, or like the kind of draft eligible at the college level that 
Uh, you, you remember like Jack Eichel making on a game at the college level. He was just, you know, between his skill, his physicality, his pace, uh, he looked really, really impressive and looked like a guy who I know, like I've seen some criticism, some corners of him after the World Juniors. Like, oh, is this guy really all that? And and he is all that. He is a special pro prospect and he showed that against Minnesota. Well, that's one of the interesting things to me when, especially when college guys go to the world juniors is like, I think it's fair, especially when you're talking about guys who are playing in the CHL, you know, the world juniors is like decidedly up a a level. And I I think there's a certain level where that's true too in college, but you're playing against older players, like more mature competition in college than you are even at the world juniors. And so like in that standpoint, if, if a guy struggles at the world juniors and goes back to the Western league or the Q or whatever, and is back to what he is, you're like, okay, well he should be. But if he goes back and he does this against the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who are one of the top, uh, you know, most talented teams uh, in college hockey, I think we can we can read a lot into that. Actually, yeah, no, he likes that. He's a he's a stud. He's he's one of the best draft eligibles I've ever seen at the college level. And it's funny you mentioned that World Junior aspect, uh, Chris. You might recall whether I'm off on this, but I think Zach Rowenski's World Junior didn't really go that well when he was also at Michigan. But he was just incredible for a 17-year-old when he was back in college. Um, did he didn't play as an underager at the World Juniors? Did he? No, he played. He played in his draft season. In his draft season, he was, yeah, 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 yeah. Where, um, where, where, where he accelerated and went to Michigan as a 17-year-old. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. He was he was underwhelming that year. Came back the following year, and he was the captain of the team and had a great World Juniors. But yeah, I think his first one was disappointing. Uh, you mentioned Gavin Brindley too, Corey, and he's a guy who I think uh, maybe starting to to generate a little bit of steam here recently. Uh, I don't know how much of that is playing a little bit with Fantilli. Um, and I think he's been on the wing a little bit, which is interesting, especially when you talk about kind of the size profile there. Uh, yeah. But what stood out to you about him? I think everything with Gavin is his skating and his compete level. I think this is a guy who just has a ton of energy in his game. Uh, he brings it every night. You saw it at the World Juniors. You see it in college. Uh, and, and he, and he said, so you love those aspects about him, especially given he's an undersized guy and he was contributing in the offense. Uh, I think with Gavin, I, I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. You know, I don't think it's dynamic enough at whatever he is, five, eight, five, nine to, to go in that range. Uh, but when I think of him, if he's a center in the NHL, I almost think of him as like Blake Lazat, uh, you know, who also was a very good college player, uh, and kind of has that same mold of high a high speed, high compete with with secondary offense, um, and that's what I kind of like from Gavin. Uh, also from that series, you know, like the obvious guys were good, like that Logan Cooley, Matt Nye's, Jimmy Snuggerud line was outstanding. Uh, Nye scored the overtime winner on the on the first night, and, and in general, those three played really well up until Snuggerud got kicked out uh, towards the end of the second game. Uh, and, and for Michigan. Luke Hughes was, I think, good, not great in the first game, and then the second game he was he was excellent and as like dies helped contribute to the overtime winner. I mean, we're we're talking here uh, about a month out from the NHL trade deadline here, and I think that's when uh, a lot of fans of other teams start to get very curious about Matthew Nyes because I think there there could be some hope there that if the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to make a big push, could you lure Matthew Nyes away? And, and Chris, I, I want to go to you with this one because you know. It, I think the obvious hope that people have with college hockey prospects is their season's going to end. They're going to jump to the NHL and they're going to make a, a big impact right away for you in the playoffs. Usually I think you kind of dismiss that, but with a guy, especially who's built the way that Matthew Nyes is and his, 
his neck is like a tree trunk already and all this stuff. <laughs> like, is this a guy who you think could make an impact on, on the Toronto Maple Leafs playoff run? Is this a guy that you could see the Toronto Leafs, Maple Leafs trading to make an impact on their playoff run? Yeah, you know, it's 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 hard for me to see him coming into that particular lineup and, and making a significant impact right away. But at the same time, um, he continues to elevate every single year, every single game, um, you know, just seeing what he's been able to do at, at Minnesota. Um, he's, he's been solid. But, you know, I, I think that there would be a pace adjustment for him. I think there are just, you know, the general physicality right now. He's bigger than everybody. He can push people around. It's not real hard for him to, to get to the middle of the ice. That would change. Um, you know, and it's not like, you know, when yeah. I think back to like when Chris Kreider came into the Rangers, you know, like what did he have? Well, he has this elite speed and he, you know, he has all this other stuff that he, you know, he had the size and stuff like that. I don't think that that's necessarily what you're going to get out of Nyes. Um, but he's a guy that is an option for you. If, you know, you, you start running, you're, you're, you're losing some of your depth either to injury or you're just not as effective. He's a guy that kind of gives you a chance to give, give your team a different look. And certainly I think long-term He's kind of the the type of player that I think the Maple Leafs have been looking for for a long time, where you know he's got that 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 power power forward element to him. Um, you know he's not easy to push around, and and he can and he can score. You know I mean it, they they have a big guy that's not easy to push around and can score in Austin Matthews too. But you know I think that the, that Nyes is a little bit you know you 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 add more of that. So uh, the thing about the trade deadline, like it'll be interesting to see kind of what the Maple Leafs ultimately want to do. Um, you know, and I think it'd be very difficult to trade a guy like Nyes, but I, I think at the same time, you can't be too precious with your own prospects sometimes when you're, when the pressure is on and certainly the pressure has to be on uh, to, for them to get outside of the first round and, and certainly to do even better than that. So, um, you know, I think everything has to be on the table for them. Um, but, you know, I think it would have to be a, a pretty substantial deal. I don't think a rental, uh, he's not the kind of player you're going to give up in a rental deal. Yeah, I would only I would disagree with what Chris said is I think he plays for them right away. I think he helps them right away. There's a pretty glaring hole on that third line left wing with due respect to Bobby McMahon. I think Nyes will make a bigger impact right away. Yeah, Corey, I know you're a big believer in the in the flags fly forever thing and, and when it comes sure. to uh, managing. Um, and and for that reason, I, I tend to agree with you. And, I, and for that reason, I think usually I'm in favor of, of a contending team trading their futures for this stuff. But I don't think Matthew Nyes is that far in the future. I think he's if even if it's not a major playoff contributor this year, he is a near term contributor for that team. And I, I think yes. you got to when you look at the cap situation, the value of that exceeds the value of, you know, whatever your your, your first round pick, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, I think he's an. I think he's upgraded on their roster. Second, he signs. Um, he looks like a pro. Plays like a pro. Only thing that's going to be issue is the skating right away. But I think he, you know his compete and his size will help him be an NHL player right away. And in terms of the flags fly forever aspect of it, uh, you know that's usually my mantra. But when you look at Toronto, you look at the, at that division. You know, you know, is this their year to go all in? And and I know there's these various pressures and and the playoff history, et cetera. But you know, it's you could make the argument they're the third best team in their division. You know, so it's would you? I, no, you could you, you could have arguments about it. I I don't. I think it's really close between them and Tampa. Yeah, and uh, and I think Florida's better than they are right now. And uh, so, but it, it's it's close. So I think you have to buy if you're them. But I'm not sure if this is the year to push all your chips into the middle. Uh, I guess it would depend on the return and what kind of player you would be getting for nice in an exchange. I wouldn't have a problem with them having a trade deadline similar to what the Florida Panthers did last year and giving up like their next three first round picks. 
but that's because <laughs> those guys are years and years out. Like I think your, your, your window is right now. It's this year. It's next year. It's probably the year after that. And you're going to have Matthew Nyes on an ELC for all of those. And I think that that's more valuable than, than the picks personally. I'm not saying three at once, but you know what I mean? Like Florida, Florida traded a ton of futures last year, right? Yeah. Even, and they didn't get anything yeah. out of it, but I don't think that they should regret it necessarily either. Eh, maybe the Ben Sherratt deal. Well, okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, that one, yeah. I mean, that one, and that one could be a top 12 pick now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I think Florida will get better. I don't think it'll be top 12, but uh, yeah, I, I thought Florida was, you know, one of the elite teams in the league last year. I understand why they did what they did. I thought it was reasonable, maybe a little over the top, but not unreasonable. I, if you, I, I, I don't pretend to have the, you know, watched as much NHL the last month or so as, as I would do in the first few months of the year. Uh, would you call Toronto one of the top five teams in the league right now? Yes. I know. I'm sure. Uh, I, would. I would say they're, they're on the bubble, I would think, for me in that regard. Yeah, I mean, for I, I, me, I, I think the division does kind of skew it because I think you might have three of the top five or six in that division, to be honest. Like, yeah. I don't know who you're taking between like Toronto, Carolina, Toronto, Tampa, you know, Dallas, I think is in the mix. Like, you know, right. Vegas is in that. But I don't think any of those teams are clearly better than Toronto. Right. That's just, I don't. Th- right. I think they're on the bubble for me in that yeah. in, in that regard. But they're, but they're in that mix. I, th- I know the goal even better than we expected, but it is a minor question for me going yeah. into the playoffs. Fair enough. Uh, I guess the other guy we could talk about from the same series and what, what they might or might not add to a playoff run is Luke Hughes. And, and you mentioned uh, his play there, Corey. And I saw a quote, uh, I'm sorry, I forget who tweeted it, but I think uh, Brandon Nerado was saying he thinks that Luke Hughes could step into uh, New Jersey's lineup tomorrow and help them. Uh, do you agree with that? Could he? Yes. Will they bring in a teenage defenseman? And plug him into a very tough situation where you're trying to win a playoff game. I don't know. When I when I saw that, I thought of what Detroit did actually with Dylan Larkin when yeah. he was coming out, um, and they just pretty much put him in the American League and said next year is your year because I believe they were in a playoff push at that time as well. And I. I think it'll really depend how Luke looks in the second half of the year and, and where the Devils are. I thought ruling it out, but it would be a it would be a coin flip call. I think for me. What do you think, Chris? I think he's in. I think he plays, and I think that they're gonna. I, I have a feeling that they're gonna make some moves here uh, at the trade deadline that are that's gonna make their their blue line a little different. Um, and so I think that that he, you know, it, is he is he, he wouldn't be. I don't think he's gonna be a top four guy. You know, I don't think you know you kind of you'd have to you know shelter him a bit, especially towards the, the the playoff run and things like that. But I I do think that you know. New Jersey is is probably going to get a little bit more aggressive here, sure. and you know I'm I'm interested to see kind of what happens. Is 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 Damon Severson you know long term guy for them? Is he a guy that they move? Sure. Is there something like that that happens um, that that then suddenly creates an opening and creates an opportunity uh, to add D and um, you know Luke can play on either side, um, and, and so I think that that's helpful as well. Um, and yeah, I mean I. The thing is, is like, you know, Corey and I have been talking about it a lot this year and watching him and there there have been absolutely games where he has been unbelievable. And there have been a lot of games where he's been, you know, average. And, and you know, we want to see you got to have that level of consistency. You can't really have sure. an average night as a young defenseman in the in a playoff race. So I to, to Corey's point, I, I get the the hedge there for sure. Um, but I just think that uh, the way things are going 
you know, I do think that Luke Hughes, uh, with his skating ability, with his ability to move pucks up the ice, the fact that, you know, he, he, he has good size already. Um, you know, I think that that's, those are all things that are going to help him, you know, be a contributor. If not, you know, I don't think he'd be an impact level player, but a contributor. Yeah. Could I see him getting games like in April? Sure. But I can't sit here and say, I for sure see him in the lineup in game one of a playoff series. Just, just quite yet. I'm not ruling out he could, but I would need to see how he does in the second half. And if he played in April, how he does in the NHL first. And while, I know, Chris and I were in British Columbia for the CHL Top Prospects game, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, Max was touring Sweden. Uh, <laughs> uh, mainly Tough life, in, Max. <laughs> it is a long flight. <laughs> Max was in Angleholm uh, covering Rogla, uh, who have two very good Red Wings prospects in Marco Casper and, and William Valinder. Uh and, and Max will be able to tell us what he saw from them. But you also saw some good player, a good player on San Jose, Philip Bista, which we've talked about a couple of times throughout the season. Yeah. So the first game when I was there was uh, Lynn Shipping, which is where Bista plays. Uh, and they, they house Rogo. They beat him 6-2. to two. It was a good game for the first period. And then Lynn Shipping uh, pretty much was just the better team. And for that reason, like Bista was the most impressive of, of the three that I saw that night. Um, I think, I, I don't know if he had a, I think he had an assist, but either way, he helped set up a goal. Um, size was obviously very noticeable and the impact that he was able to make with that. Um, and he was really good. I mean, kind of picked up where, he, where you saw him leave off in the World Juniors. Um, I left there very impressed with him that night. Um, honestly, both the Red Wings prospects that night probably had tougher nights. And when I talked to the um, one of the coaches there, I, he kind of was like, it's not really characteristic to, <laughs> to how their seasons have been, which is true if you look at their, at their seasons. Uh, and then the next night out, like you really saw – uh, that I mean, Marco Casper was probably their best player uh, in in their game against Malmo, which is their big rivalry game. Uh, he scored the opening goal like two minutes in. They played him like twenty plus minutes while Ender played like twenty five minutes, and and you that I think was a much more kind of representative game of of their seasons. While Ender, I think you saw a little more of the the maturity. He's always been this you know big fluid skater with some good hands, but I think you saw a couple mature plays where you know gets it over re- over the red line and gets it deep or cuts it back to you know hold possession and reset his team. The kind of things that I think he'll need to do to, to really be a, a big minute defenseman in the NHL at some point to, to kind of manage that game. And Casper drove a ton for them. Like that's good. Carried the puck and um, you know, had possession. I think he probably held on to it too much in the first game. And that was where some of the issues stemmed from. Um, but I thought it was a really efficient, effective game from him. The second time I saw him last year, you did a similar trip to Fralunda when yeah. Simon Evanson uh, was there. So now you've covered two different SHL organizations in two years between Frolunda and Rogla. What similarities or differences did you see between maybe how those two teams approach things? I, I thought, I've thought about this a lot uh, since I was there because I think when I went over last year and, and saw um, the, the Red Wings prospects that were at Frolunda, I spent some time around that organization. I left really impressed with kind of their their model for developing these really elite prospects and I think what I maybe underrated at that time was the role of kind of the city that Ferlunda is based in. It's like a big population center. They got a lot of guys who grew up in Gothenburg that, you know, feed into them from the surrounding areas. Hosting I now next kind year's of, World Junior. Yeah, they're hosting next year's World Junior, right. Um, 
they're a little bit kind of like the Yankees, I guess. Like the more the more removed I get from it, like they're just this powerhouse. And as much as they develop these elite NHL players, which I stand by what I wrote last year is truly impressive how they do this. They're going to have another two potential first, but I would think at least top two round picks uh, next year in, in Otto Stenberg and Noah Dower Nilsson. Um, what I think is interesting about Rogla is they are, this is a town of like 40,000. And it, and as Gothenburg like is a, a big city, like Engelholm's a small hockey town. Like they, the, the town loves their team, but they're not drawing from like these major suburb areas. They kind of have to bring guys in and um, they actually rely more on the SHL level on these young guys that have come through their academy. I think they have seven or eight like junior age players, or at least under 21 players. I guess Willinder wouldn't technically be, or Willinder wouldn't technically be junior age anymore. But, you know, they've got this guy, Felix Nilsson, who's working into their lineup, who might be a, you know, a draft pick this year. Uh, I think there were some scouts there on Hamble. I was there to see him. Uh, they had a guy who, Corey, you broke the story while I was there, scooping me while I'm on the ground, uh, that Tom Willander, uh, uh, who we expect will be a semi-early pick in this next draft, uh, committed to BU. I wonder if that maybe is why I did not see him play these SHL games while I was there. Um, but, like, they, they have built this thing up from a much different place. Rogla was up and down in the SHL relegated yeah. and, 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 and then finding promotion, but never really challenging these two Canadian twin brothers, Cam and Chris Abbott have really re redefined what this program is. They're now one of the clearly top programs in the SHL and they, and they've done it without this kind of immense payroll, immense kind of machine like Ferlunda has um, both super impressive, but, but also kind of really different in how they've gone about it. And so I've been thinking about that question a lot since I got back of like what, how, you know, they've kind of both become these powerhouses in really different ways. So Max, you know, having a chance to see these guys and, and being there and, and getting up close, you know, I think a lot of people are really excited about Marco Casper. Do you think that he is based on what you saw and based on kind of what you've heard? Uh, do you think he's got a chance to play in the NHL next season? I think he has a chance. I I came back last year pretty confident that Simon Edvinson was going to play in the NHL right away last year. So I guess I kind of got to check the <laughs> impulse a little bit here. Um, but I do think like there's elements to his game that are very kind of polished, right? Like he, I, I don't think he's going to have a problem with the physicality or the pace of the NHL level, for example. Um, but you just never know how someone's going to adjust. And so he's right. a really mature kid. It would not shock me if he you know takes even more steps between now and next September. Um, but every player is kind of different. I didn't think Lucas Raymond was going to be ready. I did think Edvinson was going to be ready. I've been wrong on both of those so far. So I think that tells you like how much uh, mystery there still is, even with um, pretty advanced prospects. I, I do think it's interesting. I don't think I would have guessed um, going into this that Casper's production in the SHL would be pretty much identical to what Lucas Raymond's was in, in that year. They do it very different ways, but I think you might even be able to argue that Casper's more kind of direct style of play uh, might appeal more to like the average NHL coach um, when you're talking about a young player. Yeah, I agree. The only issue I think is if you have one Casper in your lineup, you probably want him as a top nine, right? Yeah. So you yep. look at the Red Wings lineup, you know, particularly with a guy like with Jonathan Berger and kind of emerging and it's like, okay, well, where does he fit? Does he take Joe Valeno's third line center spot? Uh, you know, what's, what happens with Tyler Bertuzzi going forward? I think those are kind of the questions that would need to be answered over the off season before we start penciling Casper in. But exactly. And the Red Wings have, have been really intentional about if they're going to have a young guy in their lineup, they want him in the top nine. They haven't really want even Valeno, like they weren't really sure they wanted him to be in a fourth line role. And, and he played well enough to get the minutes that made it, you know, 
kind of indistinguishable whether it's the third or the fourth line on some nights, but he's playing 12, 13 minutes. Like, that's enough. If if Casper isn't going to be getting getting that kind of role and probably some power play, I think you're right that they, they've tended to slow play those guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, guys, uh, let's get into the CHL Top Prospects game now. Uh, I know you're both on on hand for this one. Uh, and let's start with the one that we got to start with, the, the Connor Bedard and, and, and Zach Benson on his line. Uh, anything new that we learned, anything that we even could have learned new about Connor Bedard in this one, Chris? No, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't going to be any surprises. You know, I think the thing, you don't, there aren't many games where, you know, you see Connor Bedard go through adversity. I mean, there is it, there is, I should say that in Regina, obviously there's, he's got to do a lot himself. And so there is, there's a level of adversity there. So this was kind of reminiscent of that. There was a lot of things where he had to, to do a little bit more. Um, I think early in the game. He was a little deferential, which was surprising to me. Um, he would pass a lot more uh, when he had uh, not didn't always necessarily have the angle, but he's a guy that can score from anywhere. So you just kind of expect him to shoot. Uh, but he was looking for Benson a little bit more there. Uh, they had to kind of rotate the wings around. Uh, he and Benson stayed together, but they tried a couple of different looks um, of different players that didn't, you know, the way the teams were con- constructed, it really didn't leave. It, it was kind of like they were like, hey, this is like how it is in Regina. You can have the, you know, there were there were eight top 20 central scouting rated players on the other side, skaters, <laughs> and there were two on his team. So, you know, like, and then he did get the, they did give him the the number one goalie at least. So, like, just to give you an example of the imbalance. But the other things, they, like. They did that last year, too. And yeah, they put yeah. Shane right. They put Shane right on the worst team and. It really didn't go well for them. At least this one felt a little bit more balanced because Benson and it did, Bedard yeah. could drive things. Yeah, it did until late in the game. And actually, Bedard's team significantly outshot Team White. You know, so like there was, you know, the Scott Ratzlaff was really one of the guys that, that kind of stole the show. But, but you know, I think the other thing too with Connor is that you got to see his temper a little bit too. You know, he 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 got a did take a penalty late in the game, which was not a great thing for him to do. Oliver Bonk really got under his skin in the game. Um, Pedal you know, leveled him at one point. Yeah, Pedal. Uh, Lucas Dragasevic also uh, buried him in the boards for an early penalty uh, for boarding. Um, so that it was clear that there was the guys on the other team were not going to go easy on Connor Bedard. So they didn't make it easy on him. But he still had six shots on goal. He was dominant at the faceoff dot. He had uh, he 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 you know he got Dragasevic back a little bit by dangling him to his knees essentially, uh, where he just he he, he fell over because he inside outed him and. Uh, you know, and that's just what what Connor Bedard can do. But you know, obviously, the single game. You look at the body of work. You know, relative to what that game was for Connor Bedard, and 
you know, there's there's not a lot that we learned, but it was at least nice to see, you know, he was competing. Everybody was competing against him. Nobody was taking it easy. So it, it made for a good game. But I think two of his three pointless games this season have been the CHL top prospects game and the gold medal game for the World <laughs> Juniors. Bust. And the fr- Complete and, bust. And, not and, a big and, game and, player. And the first game of the season in the CHL, what I think was those were his three pointless games. I actually think Zach Benson was just as good as Bedard, maybe even better in that game. I thought he made a yeah. ton of plays on that line. Uh, he was always active, always keeping his feet moving. Uh, I thought, again, that, that line, even though it had a rotating wing, I thought they were the mo- they were the best line at that game. They drove bus, even though, and they got a lot of scoring chances. They just couldn't finish uh, during the course of that game. Right. I was having a conversation with someone about Benson this morning. I, I'm curious, like, how do you compare him to like a William Eklund in his draft year? Not as good a skater, I don't think. Actually, I'm not sure we were talking to the same person. Someone asked me about that today too. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I would say not as good a skater. I was like, like I think Eklund's skating is like dimensional, and I think that's Benson's major issue for his size. And I would say Benson would have more natural offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't think Eklund's ever been a, like a pure scorer. I mean, he can score, but I don't think that's really, you know, he's leading the Barracuda in points right now, but I don't think that's ever been like his big thing has been, you know, being a big points guy, a big goal scorer. And I, uh, but so I think those would be the two distinct differences there for me, where you would follow those differences in terms of making a list, you know, you could defer, but I think that would be the, the argument there for me. I still feel like Benson's off puck value is higher than Eklund's. I agree, but I think yeah. Eklund does compete well too. Like he's he good does. around he the does. net. Yeah. But no, yeah, yeah, no, no. Benson's competes like another level higher. Like he's, you could argue that he's the most competitive player in the draft. To be quite honest, yeah, I, I think he has one of the best sticks of, of anybody. You know, he yep. he is so good at taking guys off sticks. And Connor Bedard actually said, um, in our in our media availability, how Benson is just so relentless on the forecheck. He just gives yep. everybody problems and. Uh, yep. It doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter. He, he just finds a way to get the puck off you. No, I mean, I think he has one of the best sticks in the draft. He's one of the smartest players in the draft. He's one of the most competitive players in the draft. He's just a 5'9 guy without speed. And like that's that's the debate on him. Um, and, and where you ultimately fall on that, we'll see. But I think he has some very several elite attributes. Yes. And when you talk about like the skating, right? Like it, it's it's the speed, yes. But like the change in direction is not, is not bad. It, that wouldn't scare you off. Right. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's that. I think he's got, you know, small area quickness. He can he could he can make guys miss. I just don't think like in the NHL he's gonna be pulling away from guys. Uh, you know, but I don't think I don't think he's a, a below average NHL skater. I just don't think it's for that size, it's a major asset. Kind of Lucas Raymond Dish, or you like it a little better than that? Yeah, kind of similar to that. It's kind of so close to like where Zuccarello maybe skating yep. is. The question is whether his offense is going to be that level. Uh, you know, I thought Lucas Raven's one of you know one of the most purely skilled sure. players I've seen over the last ten years coming into the draft. So I mean, that's where the debate lies a little bit. But I, but if you're a believer, that's what you're hoping the, tra- the trajectory is. All right, uh, let's go on the other side of, of that game now, and I think we can just go to the top line there as well as we as we talk about. Uh, Colby Barlow, Braden Yeager, and, and Cohen Zimmer. Uh, what did you think of of that group, which includes a couple of guys who could go in the in the first half of the of the first round? Right, and th- and that would probably be Yeager and Barlow, and, and they figured in. I believe it was on the first white goal where Yeager got a shot to the net, 
and then and then Zimmer, I think not Zimmer, sorry, Barlow put the rebound in. But after that, I, I didn't think that line really had the impact I thought they would, given the amount of scoring that they all three of them have shown this year and the amount of talent on that line. I thought, you know, they were they were fine, solid, just he didn't really notice them on a on a consistent basis throughout the game. Honestly, uh uh there were other players on White who I thought were really impressive. I thought Luca Pinelli on the second line had a good mm-hmm. game. I thought Carson Rakoff, the Kitchener pl- uh four had a good game. I thought Kalen Lind from Red Deer had a very good game made itself noticeable in a lot of ways between both, you know, his skating, occasionally contributing the offense, and he was a pain in the ass to deal with for everybody uh, on Team Red. Uh, but I, I think those guys probably, I know it's a more on a consistent basis than uh, the, the top line with the high profile names on Team White. Yeah, I agree with that too. Cause, I, you know, you could see the flashes of the various things. Like, I mean, like Zemer has a, a really good skill level, like, he, he uses his hands well in the game. Um, and not, a, not an amazing skater, you know, so that, that does limit him a bit. You know, Colby Barlow is so much more physically advanced than a lot of the guys. Um, and you just, even if you looked at him, if anybody watched the game, you saw the kid with the full beard, that's Colby Barlow. He was sitting next to Brent Seabrook in the team photo. And I was like, which of these guys played, like, who's ready to retire here? Like, it was like, that's the way it looked to me. Cause like, uh, uh, because he's such a, such a, like a physically developed kind of player. And so, you always kind of look at that and you wonder, okay, well, what's the upside and, and things like that. But what I will say about Barlow is that, you know, he, he does have a lot, he makes a lot of pro level decisions. He does, you know, he's, he knows when to get pucks deep. He knows when he can take it a little bit more. He has a, a good, a good feel for getting to the net. He can lower the shoulder a little bit and be a little bit harder to defend. Um, so, you know, he, he uses all that, that well. Jaeger to me was the least noticeable of the three of them. Um, he had a couple of moments here and there. Uh, but didn't necessarily at any, I think he was put in a position to succeed. And I just don't think he kind of rose to the level of that game. Um, he kind of faded a little bit. You didn't necessarily notice him a lot. So that was kind of interesting for me to see, because I mean, obviously he's had a very strong season. He's a productive player, um, you know, had a great Holinka Gretzky. He's kind of been one of the top guys in his age group and, uh, you know, didn't necessarily elevate, but, um, but yeah. And, and to Corey's point too, I did want to mention on Rakoff, you know, he's a guy that kind of, he has a lot of the tools. He's six foot two. He's highly skilled, uh, really good shot. You know, consistency has been a real issue with him. You never really know exactly what you're going to get in a game in a game out situation. That's made him a little bit tougher to get a read on. It's made him uh, a guy that I think has frustrated some scouts this season, but to have a good performance there, just a reminder to show, you know, the, the shot that he had was a major league shot. I mean, he shot in stride. He shot against the grain. It was a really, it was a. It was going to be tough for the goaltender to stop. So really, yeah, good, nice one on one play to, to create yeah. space there. It, exactly, and and he, and you know his hands have have been outstanding. You know he do, he's, he's he does a lot of really good things. Um, it's just you know he needs to f- kind of put it a little bit more together to to make sure that you know the toolbox is is matching the tools as well. Um, because he's he's he definitely has um a lot of skill. So it was good, and he was one of the players of the game. I uh, thought he thought he had had a really nice uh, effort, and it was a good time for him to have that. Yeah, and on a line with Cal and Richie, I, I, yeah. I wouldn't be able to pick out which guy was supposed to be the first round pure tools guy and, and which one was the other guy. Um, I, I still would have Richie ahead of Rekoff, but I thought that was an interesting compare and contrast. Both two guys from the same league on the same line. 
on that evening. And you mentioned Jaeger before. Yeah, like I only noticed him in a couple of instances with his skating and and that he would get a couple of shots towards the goal by using by using his feet to create some space. But yeah, I didn't really see him make many plays or or really get as many scoring chances as you would have hoped. Uh, one other one other forward we kind of skimmed over is I thought the uh, the combination of Matt Catterford and Grayson Sachin together did well yeah. initially. I think they broke him up at some point in the second half of the game, and particularly Grayson Sachin, I thought had a very nice game. I thought his compete level was very high. He was playing with pace. He was making skilled plays. Uh, I don't know. He's not putting up huge numbers, a little bit about a point per game, but his team he plays on in Seattle is a loaded teams so you can't always get great opportunities uh, so i thought in this context away from seattle it was a great opportunity for him to just showcase his skill and he looked like a solid b-range prospect i thought in this game what did you think of the line of of uh denver barkey connor levis riley height the second line on team red i didn't like i know height tried the lacrosse move at some point in the game but i really didn't notice those three ever in a consistent manner yeah, I was a little confused as to how Riley Height ended up getting the player of the game honors for Team Red. Um, you know, he did have that <laughs> lacrosse move. He did have an assist on the initial goal, but it was more off a, off a broken faceoff play. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I, you know, I thought that they were fine. Like Barky, you know, he was a late add to the to the game. He's got some quickness. He's a small guy, but he, he he's got some quickness. He he, you can see his jump every once in a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I thought that. I thought that line was a little bit quiet. It was a little hard for for me to see. You know, height had he, there were a couple times where height was able to show off his shot. He's got a pretty heavy shot on him. Um, you know, and that but you know didn't really amount to much. Also, the Michigan move that was maybe the slowest developing Michigan <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, and Scott Ratzlaff actually had enough time to get his shoulder up to make the save. It was actually one of the best saves on a Michigan goal I've seen as well. Because uh, I, I and I thought that Scott Ratzlaff to me Scott Ratzlaff was actually the best player in the game. Um, but, yep, but yeah, but that was, that. yeah, but that was, that was, uh, that was, that was pretty funny, but, but, you know, the, the other thing too, Corey, and I wanted to ask you this, um, we don't, we haven't talked a lot about the defenseman and obviously that I was, was a big, I was about to get to that actually. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you two things because the first was, you know, I thought Oliver Bonk had an interesting game cause he, he, he definitely got under Connor Bedard's skin as the game wore on. Um, but also I thought Cam Allen on team red had a very nice game. Uh, he didn't necessarily have um, the the points, but he was moving pucks well. I thought he skated really well. He's wearing one of the wearing a letter for the team as well. Um, I think he was on on the ice for only one of the goals against, and um, uh, was also on the ice for one of the goals for. So I thought that that was a uh, you know getting him away from Guelph, kind of the same way where he's in a different environment, getting a you know a decent chance to handle the puck some more. Um, I thought he had a nice game and I, you know, I don't think that's going to change his draft stock dramatically, but I do think that it was a nice reminder of, of kind of what his, his ability is. I wonder what you thought of him. I wasn't as blown away by him in, in that game. Like I thought he was, you know, steady, solid, but I think the question with Cam is like, what does he bring to an NHL team? He is an average size defenseman. He's a good, not great skater. He's not really showing much offense this year. Uh, I, I like to compete. I think he's a nice defender. Especially at the junior level, I think he'll be able to defend fine at the NHL level. And I think there is secondary puck moving. I don't think he lacks offense. I don't think his numbers this year are reflective of what he is as a puck mover. But I don't think that's what he's going to be as a pro. I don't see a big offensive guy. So like I said, I think, yeah, he was solid, fine. But I I, I watch him and I wonder, okay, well, what is 
what does this mean for the NHL? What is he in the NHL? Is he a top four defenseman in the NHL? Who does he remind you of that, that looks and plays like that and, and had that kind of track record coming into the league? Uh, you know, I, like I said, I think the bomb track of Savage pair was, was fine. Good. I don't think a lot of the defensemen stood out. Like I thought Boaki fought it a little bit, kind of got, he was the guy that actually got danced on the Carson Rakoff goal. Yeah. Uh, Caden Price, I didn't think really had a great game overall no. either. Uh, the one I actually, I did like the pair of, of, I'm going to butcher these names, uh, Tanner Molendick and Hunter Bershevich. I actually thought that the pair yeah. had, had a good night. Yeah, those guys can really skate, and I thought I thought Mullendyke was the guy that really you know was was kind of try. He was playing like it was a top prospects game, right? He was trying to show the full complement of what he's able to do. He was being aggressive with the puck. He made some really nice passes in stride and in like on the rush, and so that was good to see. And then Brustevich is one of those like having those two guys together, two really good skaters. I think Brustevich is 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 very agile. He was one of the top players in the on ice testing as well. Um, just which wasn't a surprise because he's just a very agile skater. Um, it's not that he necessarily has like this straight ahead speed. It's just that his footwork is outstanding. Um, he, he's really good on his edges. He can create space and, and did that at times in the game. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought those guys up because I thought that they they definitely were of the defensemen in a year where we're just trying to figure out who the good defensemen are. You know, they, they definitely said, hey, you know, don't forget about us. We can we, we got some we got some tools here. We got some things that we can do. Um, and yeah, they, they were, they were pretty solid. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, fellas, let's go to the mailbag here. We actually have a super uh, deep mailbag today to get through. Uh, And it's going to start off with one from Christian. Chris, uh, thoughts on the Merkley Cout Swap? Um, You know, I think at the end of the day, this is kind of the... both of those guys were high risk picks at the time. Cout for reasons not different, you know, he had a heart situation at the combine. Right. Merkley, everybody knew that, you know, there were there were there were off ice issues, there was character concerns, there was everything. And San Jose said, 
We're going to take that. We're going to bring him into our organization. We're going to hope that our guys can can mentor him and, and get there. And they gave him opportunities at the NHL level. It just turns out that on top of, you know, some of the character concerns and things like that, he just he's just not an NHL defenseman. He's got high level skill, moves pucks incredibly well, but his decision making continues to be suspect. His compete level can wane. He's got inconsistency. Um, I think this is just a situation where two teams were like, this didn't work. We're going to give you a change of scenery. Good luck. And I, and I think that that's that's fine. And Berkeley didn't really do like that well in the American League. It's not like he, he didn't. put a lot of off. No, like he put up a lot of offense and couldn't defend in the NHL or something like that. Like he just the offense actually didn't really translate in a significant way to the to the pro level. I also think with Cout there was some stuff there with where I think he wanted to change the scenery too. The organization probably wanted to move on. Pro scouts I've talked to, whether it's because of the heart issue or other issues, we'll just note that like Cout seemed out of shape at times, kind of thing. Yep. And I think maybe just we'll see whether the environment change helps either of those players and. But but right now they both look like they're not trending to become NHL regulars. And I thought Cal would be. I thought there was more recently, anyways, uh, because I thought there was pro tools there. He can skate. Yeah. He's got size, some offense. But I, I still we'll, think we'll see. I think yeah, like Cal. I think that he has a better chance than Merkley of of becoming an NHL player longer term. Um, but yeah, but at the same time, like I, it's it's getting it's getting hard to 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 get behind either as, well, as more opportunities in San Jose too, right? Right. Right. And in the, in the end, too, I think like for Colorado, they get Matt Nieto in that trade as well, which is a guy that they're familiar with that can play down their lineup that is a good fit stylistically for how they play. So that also, you know, they get some help at the NHL level and then they also move on from, you know, a prospect that wasn't going to going to really do anything. I And I don't see any way that Ryan Merkley fits into their their yeah. their long term plans. You, you mean you mean there are power play spots open on the Colorado Blue Line right now? I don't think so, Corey. I've heard they've got some good defensemen over there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. All right, here's one from uh, Mac Blackwood's left heel. Is Jack Hughes in the heart conversation? It's kind of funny to me that there even is a heart conversation. Is there a heart conversation at this point? No. Like it's kind of settled. Yeah, no. I mean, we're, I mean, Jack. I mean, he might be in the conversation of like when you're filling out a ballot, should he get a top five vote? I think that is absolutely uh, a conversation and a very reasonable conversation to have him on your ballot, just as long as you don't put the one next to his name. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think that I think that Jack Hughes is ha- like right now. The discussion is really about who's going to get the number two and number three, who, who are going right. to those last two finalist spots. This is, and these are the years where becoming a finalist, being a top five vote getter in the Hart Trophy, when you've got a Connor McDavid doing just otherworldly things as he will continue to do. That's almost like we should maybe just start giving out the, like a little tiny Hart Trophy, just like a the little. Honor McDavid. Yeah, yeah, the, the not, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I mean exactly. that's kind of what happened last year, right? When, I mean, Matthews had an incredible season and absolutely worthy of being named the Hart Trophy winner, but almost felt like the voters wanted to give it to somebody else. I voted Maybe. for Shesterkin. <laughs> I voted for Matthews. So yeah, but that was and and the the other thing too, like with with Jack and let's get just but you could have re- very reasonably argued McDavid was the best player in the league. Abs- absolutely, no season. question, no question, no question. But I I think yeah, and that's gonna that's gonna happen a, a couple of years. But I think with Jack, just to get it back to Jack Hughes quickly, I mean. Whether or not he's a Hart Trophy contender, this is this is the Jack Hughes season. This is the yeah. this is the breakout. This is I am a superstar. Here I am. 
I am one of the best players. And Corey and I were actually talking about this, like, you know, a couple of years ago, we were talking about, you know, ranking first round draft pick or first overall draft picks. And there was at, during Alexi Lafreniere's draft season, there were a lot of people that were saying, Hey, I would have taken, I'd take Lafreniere over Jack Hughes. And that, you know, and I, I think that we didn't necessarily know, like there were so many questions. Is, is Jack Hughes going to get it together? You know, he, he entered the league at such a young age. Is he going to be able to, at his size, is he going to be able to, to handle the grind of the NHL? And I mean, that the, the overtime pass he had the other day, uh, where he gets, or whatever, <laughs> the, the pass where he gets buried into the boards and still sends a backhand pass onto the tape. Like, he's just making so many high-level plays on a game-by-game basis. I mean, so, you know, he's absolutely like, I, I don't, I don't know if I get a vote this year. Um, it, it changes some years. We kind of rotate around a little bit, but if I do, um, you know, he's absolutely on my ballot and he's probably a top three choice for me. I agree with you. And I think the way that New Jersey's elevated, like that's yes. narrative yes. wise, that tends to be a really appealing thing for people. Yes. I think he's on my ballot right now too. He's on pace for like a hundred points. I think the only knock you could even have on his game anymore is, is the face-offs. I think that's about it. Right. I mean, especially because the goal scoring has become a really significant right. asset for him too. It was interesting. I don't know if one of those questions made into the mailbag, but I noticed somebody well, somebody asked me whether we hedge too much based on high draft position and when I'm making my, my, my drafted prospect list and stuff like that. I guess people thought that there were too many high first round picks that haven't performed too well on the recent U23 list, for example. Yep. And, it re- and it reminded me of the fact that there was a lot of criticism. And I get plenty of things wrong, but like there was a lot of criticism at times when we were doing the U23 list and we had Jack Hughes and Rasmus Dahlin very high up there, despite the fact they had not performed yet at a high level. And I think sometimes for these guys, it just takes some time and you don't want to overreact to one or two bad seasons. It's why I'm not ready to give up on Alexi Lafreniere or give up on mm-hmm. Quentin Byfield who mind the latter of which has been playing really well. Why I wasn't ready to, you know, you don't say Capo Caco's a bust who also is playing really well right now. You want to be a little bit more patient with, with, with some of these guys. And obviously, you know, that leans in the Norris conversation and Hughes is in the heart conversation. And hence the, uh, the age thing, right? That's why it's 23. That's why it's not 21. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, even Nico, he's like how, how many years were we here? And like, Oh, that's a shitty first overall pick. And, and yes, if you compare him to Kale McCarr or Miro Heiskanen, you might come to that conclusion. But, like, I don't know. He sure looks like an incredible player this year. He's and got a Selkie case. I, I mean, he, yeah, like, I was going to say, maybe not McCarr, but like, could you argue he's close to Heiskanen right now as a player? Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess you could, you know, number, number two was a whole other issue there. But, <laughs> but, 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 but it, it takes. It takes some time sometimes. I mean, and there are times where you're Austin Matthews and you walk into the league and, and you're a star right away. You know, McKinnon was very good right away. Barkov is very good right away. Sometimes that happens, but it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with that said, Logan R's question, I'm curious, where would you rank Slavkovsky, Lafreniere, and Jack Hughes in this upcoming NHL draft? I know you're going to do a whole story on this in like four months, but... <laughs> um. Great question. You know, I think if they were in this draft, what is it? So it was Jack Hughes, Lafreniere, Slavkowski, you said? Yeah, and we're using their drafts. Let's use their draft seasons. Maybe we should put that as the qualifier, right? Well, yeah, is, is that like the that. question? Is that the question? The question is not 
Well, yeah, that's say, what but, I'm saying it is. Well, because <laughs> I was about to say based on what we know now. I said based on what we know now, I think you would have to have a very hard conversation about whether you would take Hughes ahead of Bedard right now. I mm-hmm. think just – and it doesn't mean I don't think that Bedard can't be better than Hughes, but, you know – Hughes is taking, that. It's a bird I was going to say, you're probably taking Bedard hoping he becomes the player that Jack Hughes already is. And could he be better? He could. I could see a world where right. he's better. But, right. But and Jack, this but, – but Jack is – but Jack is that right yeah, now. And, Jack, he's a, and he's a center in the NHL. And it's – yeah, I would. And he's on pace Jack. for 50, 50 plus goals. And so have Jack adding more of the goal scoring element this year uh, changes kind of the. He he was always he could always score. Like yeah. it wasn't a doubt that he could score, but it, it wasn't his primary tool, and it it still isn't. But it is at a level. It's he's scoring at an elite NHL level, um, yeah. and so that because this is the this is the thing that. We, this is an interesting question because of how it relates to Bedard specifically and how we talk about Connor Bedard and how, you know, we say, you know, best prospect since McDavid. And it, and that very well may be true. Um, but I think is he, that is people he better than Matthews at the same age. I, I, it's difficult. They're different, you know, like, I mean, Matthews they are, was similar, they are, they yeah. are different, but, but yeah, but Matthews, Matthews was before Eichel, wasn't he? Matthews. No, no you're right. 15. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The yeah year right. after. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, so I mean, you know, you've got, you know, the, but that's but that's the conversation, right? That's been the conversation. There are some it's, guys say he's the, It's a conversation, but I think it's a yeah. question worth asking whether he actually is better than Matt right, at the right, same age. Right, exactly. And I mean, I think because because of Austin's size and the 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 two-way capabilities that he's shown this year and his obvious elite goal-scoring tool, um yeah, I mean, I think that you I would say I wouldn't have put him ahead of Matthews either, but to to go ahead and go ahead to rank these guys, I mean, I think that Corey's exactly right. The the, the decision between Bedard and uh, Hughes is is pretty dramatic um, because there there are there's not a huge. I don't think there's a huge gap there. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna like you guys know how much I I think Jack Hughes is just an absolute superstar. I think I would put Bedard one, Jack Hughes second, and then I would put uh, uh, we're saying Slavkovsky and Lafreniere. Yes. Okay, a mountain between them, and then I'd say Lafreniere, Slavkovsky. But it's it's not just with Bedard. Right? He's asking like in this class, yeah, right? So I right. think you're talking Fantilli, Carlson, Mitchkov, yeah. and then oh, okay, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, I would I'd be very close, but I probably would lean Hughes over Bedard right now, and then I would have. That group of four, yeah, the other draft eligibles, and then I would probably put Slavkovsky five, and then Lafreniere six. And the reason I agree yeah. with that, Corey, is we also know that Jack is an NHL center, even given what I just said about the faceoffs. But like, I think these are these are two guys who we're talking about uh, with the size profile and whatnot. I mean, obviously, I think Jack's skating is the elite of the elite. Yeah, um, yep. you're just yep, that, that confident that he's a center that I think puts him for me a, a little bit ahead as well. Yeah, there's a certainty versus upside thing there a little bit. Um, and I said, I mean, these these are these are banana land like trade scenarios. But if you had to yeah. put, if you had to trade Jack for Bedard, what would you do? Kind of thing. I think, I think a decent amount of managers would would take the certainty of the, the number of the star number yeah, one center. That's yeah, that's totally fair. Like I think I think it's razor thin between those two guys. You know, just yeah. like you know, because I mean. We also have to keep in mind that Connor Bedard is having, you know, an, uh, an otherworldly season on so many levels, and you look 100%. at all the different. Yeah, I mean, just but, so we, we were talking about this at the CHL game. Like, 
thinking about Bedard's draft year, thinking about other draft years we've seen. I mean, I don't know. Jack Hughes' draft season was pretty otherworldly too. Not yeah, in yeah. the not at the it World was. Juniors level, but in so many other different contexts. Right. Yeah. Was. Yeah. And Jack was playing through. I think he was playing through like a like a shoulder injury throughout that that draft eligible World Juniors too. And then also like yeah yeah it's just it's 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 crazy but. Jack Hughes had the best season in the history of the national team development program where all those guys, Matthews, Kane, all of them played there. And he's the only player in the history to average two points a game in one season. And the only NTDP guy to go from the NTDP to the NHL. Exactly. So, I mean, we're talking about guys that are, you know, we, we throw around generational a lot, but we're saying these guys are special relative to the rest of the, uh, you know, the prospects that have kind of come before them or are around them right now. Corey, do you remember that game? I think you were there too, where we showed up to um, Plymouth and Hughes and Caulfield were both like five or six points off of the respective the green, program. The Green records. Bay Gamblers game. Yeah, I remember I that. I think one. so. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Caulfield had like seven goals on nine shots, and Hughes, I think, assisted on all of them. And yeah. yeah, they had to split the puck in half because, yes. because Caulfield set the goals record and, and Hughes set the points record. On the for, same play. On the yeah. same play. <laughs> and they did. They sawed it in half. I mean, uh, to see that, think about it. That was a team with Connor, with Jack Hughes, Cole Caulfield, Trevor, Trevor Zegris, Matt Boldy, Spencer Knight. I mean, they just keep going and going and going. I mean, uh, was Beneers there by that time? Uh, I, he might have been on that. He yeah, might have yeah. been on he, them he, by, he, by then. He, he, yeah. He, yeah, he was on the team by then. Yeah. yeah so I mean, Turcotte was there. Kim Turcotte, York, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, we may never see. Well, who knows? We we always say that, and then somebody's. The way <laughs> I still think it kids, holds up. Yeah, that, I think that one's going to hold up. To I, be honest, I think I think so too. One yeah, of the crazier but, games. But, I've ever but been that, to. yeah, to to Chris's point, I think when people saw the team with with Matthews and Matthew Kachuk and Charlie yep. McAvoy yep. and Noah Hannafin and Zach Rowenski, they're like, oh, this team, that team is never going to get. And you could still <laughs> argue they might be better than that other team. Like they're, that they're was. Right. They, yeah, that was a, that was a shit ton of talent. That, that decor was <laughs> was unbelievable. Yeah, so yeah, unreal. Uh, Tom Horner notes that Quinton Byfield is playing left wing with Kopitar and Kempe. Corey, is that progress? Where is his future? Is it down the middle or on the wing? I think it is progress. I've only watched a little bit of him up with the Kings since he's been called from the American League, but he's looked good. I think. I mean, yeah, he's going to be a good player. You you aren't that big, that fast with skill. He competes well enough. Like it's going to work. Like just to our previous conversation, sometimes these things do take time and he may not be like this. He may not be an NHL center. Maybe they just don't believe the hockey sense is high end enough or, you know, they're a good team. The Kings, they have good centers on the team. It just maybe doesn't fit. Maybe short term, he's a, he's a winger or long term. He, he finds his way back to the middle. Maybe he doesn't, but, but Quinton's a good hockey player. He's still pretty young. I get if you want to compare him or Lafreniere to Tim Stutzla, it's it's a pretty one-sided conversation right now. But if you compare him to the rest of the draft class, I don't think he's that far off. You can still have a conversation about him as one of the top five best players from that draft class, even top three to four. Like he's a very good pro prospect. And it wouldn't surprise me, you know, we'll see how the rest of his year goes. But I think by this time next year, he's going to be a good NHL player. And he is going to be an important part of that team for a very long time. Yeah. And I, I just to answer, to, to get to that question too, about him being on the wing relative to center. I think the more reps he gets against the NHL, no matter what, playing alongside Andre Kopitar, playing, you know, a meaningful minutes, 
that is progress. That is a good thing. There are a lot of players that are that are going to be centers in their career that spend more time on the wing earlier. It allows him to kind of find his way offensively. And then eventually, you know, there's, you know, they, they, the Ducks started Trevor Zegers on the wing. They moved him back to center. You know, I, I think there's a there's plenty of an opportunity to move Quinton back to center as time goes on. But it's there's it's it, it is him being in the NHL and being a productive player and being a guy that can contribute on a top line. That is progress. All right. Next one's from Papa Mucci. Uh, who is the most physical forward that may fall into the middle of the first round? Uh, have we already talked about him? I guess depending on where, like I think we could probably I'll say Charlie Stramel is a guy who should be available in that range and he might be right. the most physical forward in the class. Yeah, he's a, he's up there. Like I think Kalen Lynn's pretty physical. I'm not sure if he's a day one guy, maybe with his offense. He could be, like maybe somebody yeah. buys like the the Ridley Greg type of profile. I would guess not as much offense, probably goes uh, you know, somewhere in, in the second round for me. I guess it really depends on, you know, the size part of it too. Like, cause I think like there are some like smaller guys like Ryan Leonard or Ethan Goche who play mm-hmm. hard, but they're both around like five foot 11. Um, I also don't think Ethan Goche should be going in that range, even though I see him on a bunch of lists at that, at that spot. But like Leonard could be like a mid first as a guy who is, you know, a really hard to play against type of guy. Although I wouldn't call him like, I don't think he's like a crusher. He's not like a physical player but he's, he's, like I've seen, he's, he, he, he's taking they, some guys off their feet for sure yeah yeah but, but do yeah, you but, think he can be that guy in the nhl though at 511 he is he is one of the thickest players in this draft i mean he is a strong kid right. um yeah i mean i think i don't think he's going to be a crusher at the nhl level like uh, to court but i do think he's going to be a physical player we're seeing you know there are some guys that, that can absolutely throw it around a little bit he's He's so he's a very physically advanced young man. Um, what do you think? So you, what do you, what yeah. do you think of a comp of him for like Jason Zucker? Mm. Yeah, that maybe. I think he's a little. I think he's a little more engaged but, physically than than Zucker is. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, because I always thought Zucker's like compete was like a big asset kind of thing. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, he played, played, played. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's fair. I thought you might say Colby Barlow, Corey. You thought I was going to compare Ryan Leonard to Colby Barlow? No, no, I thought like in terms of the guy in, in the middle of the round, like physical forward, I thought he might be yeah. at it that, yeah. we, that we were talking yeah. about. Yeah, he, he, I don't know if he's like a killer, but like he, he, I think he does compete hard. He can kill penalties. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of guys who like lay people out kind of thing. I think Stramel is the obvious answer. And I think yeah. because of his lack of offense, he's probably not going to be a high priority guy type of thing. He's probably more of a middle, middle first, late first. So I think that is the, that is the answer to the question. All right. Uh, Jesse James Larch says, who are the prospects with the most potential to shoot up boards as the process goes on? Hmm. I mean, I think the eight, well, I think we go to the U18s then for for that. I go, who's some guys I think we could get from either from the U18 worlds or from the CHL playoffs, possibly that could have, uh, big performances from the U18s. I'll be it depends on the context of like shooting up, like from what point A to point B exactly what we're talking about. Because like, I'll be really curious to see what like Ollie Moore looks like when he has better talent around him once they make some calls in February. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at some of the other international teams, you know, it'll be interesting to see if there's any, you know, down the radar Swedes or Finns that 
have big U18 that shoot up. You know, you mentioned like Noah Dower Nielsen, who's having a monster year in the J20s, but hasn't looked so good with the, with the 18 team with Sweden. Does he have a big April? Does that change how we talk about him at all? You know, depends who comes out for Canada. Like I could see some of the better names, whether it's like Lucas Dragasevic or Andrew Kristal or, or Caden Price, go to a tournament like that. And do they play well? Do they not play well? How does that change their draft stock? Uh, those are some guys that come to mind. Anybody for you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say. It's kind of a at this at this stage in the game, the guys are are, are you know moving and up and down already. You know, I mean, and and to to shoot up throughout the the rest of the season. I mean, I'm still going to be very interested to see how the goalie uh, the goalie situation works out in the first round. You know, mm-hmm. with 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 the the level there's 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 a number of good goaltenders, and I think that the the, the fact is. You know, there are going to be teams that are going to want to make sure that they come away with like, you know, one of those top guys. And that might force them to go a little bit higher than they, you know, maybe in the first round, maybe, you know, early second kind of things like that. You know, I'm still interested to see where 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 a Michael Harabo goes, where Carson Bjarnason goes, where Adam Guyan goes, you know, guys that that we that they're those those to me are the three guys. All three um, of I, which have been up and down this year. Like they've exactly. Had, they've, had, they've had very good moments and not as good moments. And who right. has that consistency in the second half, or right? If anybody right. does yeah. actually, yeah. I mean, you know, and it, and I think like the there could be like a run on goalies um, at some point in the in the draft, and you know, but this is a this is a good year to be looking for a goalie. I think that those guys, even though they have had their ups and downs, like I really like the upside of a Robble. I really like what Guyan has shown, um, even beyond the World Juniors and what he's done at the junior level this year. Yeah, Jarnison's um, so, yeah. athletic. I think yeah. Rats. I think Ratzlaff and Augustine are nice, nice smaller goalies, not as yeah. athletic maybe, but they're but they're good, smart goaltenders. Yes. Yeah. So and yeah, I mean, like you know, does Ratzlaff take the net from Milik in the playoffs? Maybe. And if he does, you know that that could really change his trajectory as well. So what about yeah, he, what about Daniil Boot? I mean, he's I mean, he's not a guy who we're going to be able to see have a big U18s because of the Russia thing. But you know, when when Bob McKenzie's list came out uh, last week, this was a guy who's in the the mid twenties. I know Corey, you already have him much higher than that, but. In terms of overall consensus, I feel like he's a guy who has that potential to jump into that range. Yeah, but I see the tools. I mean, he's 6'5". He can skate well for his size. He has offense. Uh, he, his playing time's kind of been inconsistent. They kind of like yo-yo those guys around there in Russia. But I think when Lokomotiv gets into their playoff run in the MHL, I think he'll be consistently playing with that one team uh, as opposed to being up with the KHL team. And I think that could be – I think that playoff run – in that league will be very interesting to monitor for those top guys. Here's another guy potentially in our next question, Peter G could Nate Danielson play in the NHL next season, late birthday, strong board work, NHL style game. Make me think it's a possibility at pick 10 to 25. We'll probably go to a team with at least some help and could possibly contribute in bottom six minutes. What do you think, Chris? I don't think that's a good move. Um, Not for, I mean, could he physically do it? Like, He's a really smart player. Like he's a really smart player. He does a lot of things well. Um, I've, I really liked his game actually at the at the top prospects game. It was a kind of unassuming. He ended up assisting on the uh, the Luca Pinelli goal on a really nice feed, you know, coming off the boards. And yeah, I agree. Like he does work well off the boards. He's got a high compete level. He does a lot of different things well. I just don't think like those guys that are in that next tier. Like you know, I look at like Cole Sillinger right now with with Columbus and like was. He he was 
capable of playing in the NHL, but was that ultimately the right move for his long-term development? I guess we're going to find out. But I, I think that, you know, the 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 desire to rush these players to get into the NHL at 18 um, really has to be tapered as once you get past a certain point. Um, I think Nate Danielson has the potential to be an impact prospect for the team that he goes to. Um, and, you know, I, I think I just I just I always err on the side of patience. Um, and with a guy like him, I think you want him to continue to play in the top six role at the mm-hmm. junior level. You want him to continue to develop his offensive game. You want to continue to have time and space to make different kinds of decisions and learn what he is able to do. Um, I just don't think that playing at the NHL level is is necessarily the best thing for his long-term development. But again, you go into camp and you show yourself, well, anything can happen. So, I mean, physically, maybe, but I, I just, I don't, that's not something that I would anticipate. Yeah, I would lean no to, I think he checks a lot of the uh, things you look for with guys who can translate. I think he's a really good skater. I think he competes well. He's got good size. Uh, he is intelligent. Uh, probably... That's probably a year or two too aggressive. Maybe one year out from his draft, two years out from his draft, he's in the NHL. Probably not next year. I think you want him dominating junior. He'll be on Canada's World Junior team, I think, that next season. That's a better path. Uh, I think what will be interesting with this draft, with the NHL readiness, is I think we all reasonably presume Connor Bedard's in the NHL next year. But is Adam Fantilli for sure a full-timer next year? Is Leo Carlson for sure a full-timer next year? I could see arguments on both ends of that but i think that's probably the more fascinating question as we get into the second half and see how those two progress yeah and and on the fantilly front like i think there's there's a good chance that he'd stick around for another year at michigan right i think, I think it depends on yeah. the depends on the or on how he does and, and the organization that drafts right him, i think right absolutely and and yeah and i mean you know you look at the guys that have gone to michigan like you know owen power first overall went back for the next year luke hughes went back for another year you know so there's right. I think yeah. that the biggest difference between him and maybe Owen Power, Matty Beniers, Kent Johnson is the level of impact he had as a freshman compared to them. I would say he's Absolutely. well no well ahead of those guys in terms of the impact he's already had at the college level. And I think if you think if he's going back, like he has to be like the Hobie Challenged. Baker favorite by like a massive margin, I would say, going back as a oh, sophomore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, well, I mean, his I production Owen- is at least – it's ahead of I think where Beniers was even was, draft plus one right like yeah. yes by 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 a bit yeah yeah I mean he's like he's yeah he's one of the top I think on a point per game basis he's a top ten player in college it's right around there I think oh and points per game he's yeah. he's he's uh, I think he's second yeah so yeah. so yeah I, th- I think it's a very interesting debate to have on whether he should play a second college year. Does he play some American League time? Does he go into the NHL right away? I think that'll be really interesting to see what the NHL organization ultimately decides to do. Yeah, actually, he's he's first in points per game uh, in, in NCAA right now, 1.65 points per game. So, yeah, I mean, and, and you're right, Corey. I think that is a fair point. Um, I just, yeah, I think it's really interesting to see kind of the dynamic of the decision process. I mean, Luke Hughes also had, you know, an unprecedented freshman season at, at sure. Michigan, um, you know, and, you know, those guys have, have a lot in common. So uh, just, you know, the, the guys that we've all talked about. Um, so, yeah, but I, I think it's, it is interesting. And, and, and also to Leo Carlson, do you think he has the pace to play at the NHL right now? Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't know. Like guys I think about when I think of Leo are guys like Thomas Hurdle, guys like Miko Rantanen in terms of, uh, play styles and both those guys took one extra year before they went to the yep. NHL. 
So I could see an argument for him to play one more year, whether it's in Sweden or in the American League. All right, next one is from uh, Jack Powers. This is this will be one I'm curious to hear from both of you. When you're going to scout a junior college game, assuming you have the complete freedom of seat selection, where in the arena do you like to sit for the best scouting vantage point? Chris can go first. Ah, uh, that's you know, I've I've sat in a lot of different places um, at various ranks. And, you know, like when I go to a USHL game, I kind of have, have my pick of wherever, I, you know, I can kind of go. But I've often found I prefer um, I prefer watching from the middle. I do. I do prefer seeing the entire ice, you know, from from closer to center ice, elevated, um, you know, having a chance to see. And you, you don't always watch the puck carrier, you don't know, you know, you, but you, you still have a really good view and we're lucky in the media. We get kind of un, often get unblocked vantage points from a press box, which allows us to see a, a good chunk. I don't want to be like in the NHL press boxes. You're often sometimes too high. Um, you know, it, at, at junior and college level, you're able to be kind of, you know, closer to the ice and have a really good feel. Um, I have also seen a lot of value in watching from, an end. If I'm watching a defenseman, if I'm watching, uh, you know, somebody that, you know, I'm really trying to zero in on, I might watch from the end and, and see, but again, when you get to the opposite end, it gets a little bit harder. That's why I prefer to sit in the middle. And I, I think that that, that typically has been advantageous for me. I feel like I get the best information out of that vantage point. Whereas at the top prospects game, we were in a corner and I was also, there was a table blocking my Half, like almost half the ice. So sometimes you got to like get creative and yeah. stand up or stand on a chair or, you know, basically throw somebody out of their seat. First time in angel history, Mike Morreale blocked somebody's view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we love Mike. We love Mike. We, we do. We do love Mike. He, he would, he would laugh at that joke if he was here. Uh, for, for me, the answer is wherever there's somewhere to plug in my phone. No. Uh, but, but I also agree <laughs> with, with Chris, uh, that I do prefer the middle, uh, typically center, center ice, lower, you know, first level center ice typically is the best view for me. The only time that would change is if you go into the game, knowing one side of the ice is loaded with talent and the other side isn't, and you know, this is going to be a 70% possession game. And then I sit on the end where I know the puck's going to be every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I always like the end. I don't know why. I, I like sitting pretty much not quite directly behind the net, but slightly off center to the net. My only thing I don't want, I do not want to be anywhere that I have like an obstructed view of like the boards or the corners, which is yes, can be really yes. brutal, especially when you sit down low. And yeah, I hate that. So elevated you, is my number one priority. Not really a, not really a, a insightful observation, but when you sit near the end, I find you learn, learn as much about a goalie as possible too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last one is from Jason G. And this one's kind of almost like a state of the sport question, uh, which is I think it makes it good to end on. He says, I watched the top prospects game and marveled at the sight of a bunch of 5'7", which is a little bit of an exaggeration, players running around, uh, wondering if this is the future of the game. Will they lose a lot of fans? The intensity and toughness of hockey players is what drew many to the game. I'm curious to hear what both of you guys think about this one. Right. I actually wanted that question to be included because I thought it was interesting, not because I necessarily agree with what they're asserting, but because I actually heard that from several NHL people after the game was over 
um, including one director who said the game that was I, you know there was various assertions of that was one of the smallest showcase games I've ever seen or like wow there was a ton of small players in this game. I think you go through like the blue line. I think half of the defensemen were six zero or smaller. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting observation. Where I would dispute what the what the person was asking because I actually thought the game itself was really competitive. I thought it was physical. I thought guys were going at each other. I thought it was intense. Like you know, there was a, there was a fight in that game. People were chir- or, you know were, they were they were going after each other after the whistles and stuff like that. Like I thought it was very competitive. Uh, but it's fair to say it was a you know the Canadian crop this year is on the smaller side. Uh, you know now Quentin Musty wasn't in the game. He he isn't the most physical player. That being said, also Andrew Cristal wasn't in the game. He is on the smaller side. <laughs> so I I I don't know if the game is going to be losing that kind of intensity. I mean, it's not going to be you know the old Red Wings Colorado rivalry. I think again for the foreseeable future where people are you know, are literally going after each other's throats. Uh, but, I, but I think the game is plenty physical. Uh, I think Connor Bedard sure felt that way after that game. <laughs> and, uh, but there are definitely ch- stylistic changes happening to the game over a long period of time that is making it more possible for smaller players to become premium players at the higher levels. Yeah, I think, you know, the question is, 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 you know, in terms of the intense, I don't think the intensity is, is ever going anywhere. Uh, you know, I, I, even the small, some of the, some of the small guys are some of the most competitive people that, that are in the game. Um, and they might not be able to do as much about it, you know, with, with the physicality, but I think that the NHL as a whole has gotten faster and often the fastest players are smaller to average size players there there's there you get you get some players that that have the speed and the and the and the size you know i think like i think that's why adam fantilli is getting such uh such attention because he is a bigger player that can really skate and has some physicality to him and 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 different things like that so you know that's why you know he's he's so highly regarded in this class because there's a premium but you know you look at it and look at how many of these these young defensemen are coming through that you know we're looking at Axel Sandin Pelica could be one of the top defensemen taken it will be one of the top defensemen taken in this draft and he's at you know 5'11 or 5'10 you know so those though there there are there is a, a more of that but i also think that the speed of the game the entertainment value of the game is is changing as well i think that the the league is continuing to see more stars these younger players that are coming in with this higher end skill level. They're allowed to do the skilled things. They're allowed to try things. They're allowed to be creative without getting their heads punched in. And they can do a lot of different things. And that is appealing to a a broad audience as well. The other thing that you have to remember is a lot of these guys are coming up in the the age of social media where the highlight clips, they're they're, they're exposed to more and more things in the game. And it's not the fight videos that are getting the most views anymore. It's, I mean, they still do. They still do. They're still popular. And it's not the big hits that are getting the big views. It's Trevor Zegers doing a Michigan. It's it's uh, you know Jack Hughes with his little backhand pass. That's you know that that's like insane. You know um, those are the things that 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 are driving uh, a lot of interest and eyeballs to the game because they're they're doing things that you know not everybody can do that. Almost everybody can be physical. Almost everybody can can throw a body check. Very few people can do the things that Jack Hughes does with the puck, that Connor McDavid does with the puck, that Kale McCarr can do, that that's what I think will continue to drive more interest in the game 
Um, and I don't think, but I don't think we're ever going to lose that intensity. They're still going to be body checking. They're still going to be fighting. There's still going to be other things like that. It just might be smaller people doing it. All right. I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the athletic hockey shows prospect series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show. You can also catch more of Chris over at flow hockey and on his podcast, talking hockey sense. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.